Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 7 tonight. We go back to the passage that we were looking at this morning. And I want to pick up with a thought that I see there, uh, something I think is important and something that uh, got my attention. We began looking at John chapter 7, verses 10 through 13 this morning, and I want to return there this evening for our time together tonight, and I want you to follow along again. Let's just look at the passage we looked at this morning, and then we'll pick up from there. John chapter 7, verse 10, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But after his brothers, Jesus' brothers, had gone up to the feast, then he, Jesus, also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, no, he is leading the people astray. And verse 13 says, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Something that stands out to me is that simple statement, but it's also a sad statement in verse 13. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. No one spoke openly of Jesus. For fear of the Jews, no one would speak openly of Jesus. No one had the nerve to speak openly of Jesus. There, Of course, there was good reason for this. For one thing, this crowd that's looking for Jesus at this Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, is made up of people who aren't necessarily believers in Jesus. So there's one reason why people wouldn't speak of Jesus openly. They're not believers in Jesus. These people aren't followers of Jesus. Of course, some of them were no doubt moved by what they had seen Jesus do. Some of them no doubt witnessed his miracles, or they were moved by what they had heard of what he had done when other people had witnessed his miracles and came and, oh, if you had only been there to see what he did. So they'd, some of them had likely had heard of Jesus' miracles. Some of them thought Jesus was, says here that they thought Jesus was a good man. They said, verse 12, and that's true. True, Jesus was a good man, but that's certainly not the whole truth. Jesus is far more than only a good man. He is, as we noted it this morning, he is the God-man. He is the Savior. Jesus is God's representation of himself to mankind. He is God in human flesh. Others had the opinion of Jesus that he was a deceiver. He was a deceiver. Some of them also had seen or heard of Jesus' miracles, but in, but in fact, they looked at his miracles a, a different way. They thought that he was working, working on some scheme. He must be a deceiver. And what those two kinds of people who thought Jesus was good or bad had in common was that they all were afraid to speak openly of Jesus for fear of the ruling Jewish leaders. The word was out. Speaking of Jesus would not be good for your health. Speaking of Jesus would not be tolerated. There would 
come a time, of course, when Jesus would reveal himself. This wasn't the time. That's why he wouldn't go up in public. He wouldn't go up, as his brothers suggested, in public. It wasn't that he was afraid. It was that the timing wasn't his timing. It wasn't God's timing. There would come a time when Jesus would reveal himself and he would face such severe persecution that it would lead to his suffering that it would lead to his death on the cross. But, but then later, having risen from the dead, Jesus would gather his disciples together, and before his ascension, he would send them on a mission, a mission that is still the mission of the church and God's children today. In fact, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's still the role of God's children in the world today. We are to be Jesus' witnesses to the world. So from what we know of God's word, God's people are not to be afraid to speak of Jesus. We're not to be afraid, come what may, whatever the risk seems to be, whatever the, the challenges are that appear, there ought not be anything that keeps God's people, those who trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, there ought not be any reason for God's children, God's people, to be fearful of speaking of Jesus in the public We're to be Jesus' witnesses to the world. That's our task as a church. That's our mission. And with that realization, we dare not be people who are afraid to speak plainly and openly from the Bible about Jesus. And I emphasize that we speak from the Bible, that we speak the words of God, that we speak the truth of the Scriptures. Because God's Word is powerful, it's a Sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? It pierces to the soul. God's word is powerful. And when God's people speak the truth of God's word, God works with the truth of the word in people's hearts. Consider it this way. We, we have the life-changing message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the answer to the darkness and the bondage of sin that people are trapped in, enslaved in. Where you once were, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you were trapped in the darkness of sin. And yet, God moved into your life and drew you to himself and, and rescued you out of the darkness, rescued you out of bondage. So we have an incredible message to share with a dying world. And so for the church today, to be silent on Jesus and who Jesus is, for believers in Jesus to be silent about the good news... For believers in Jesus to be afraid to speak openly of Jesus from the Bible would be like being afraid to tell your neighbor his house is on fire. You ever think about that? If your, if your neighbor's house was on fire, what would you do? Well, first you'd probably call 911, and then you'd run over and yell to see if your neighbor could hear you to come out of their burning home we have a message that's that important. It's actually even more important than that. 
the message we have will change people's lives, not just in the here and now, but for all eternity, if they'll put their trust in Jesus Christ. So being afraid to tell your neighbor, your coworker, your family member about the Lord Jesus Christ would be like being afraid to tell them when they're going into deep water that the water is deep and dangerous. <laughs> or if you were going into, um, we spent some time around big water like Lake Erie, Lake Michigan. Um, we've been with our children at times around... Um, around rip currents in Lake Michigan, and they can be quite dangerous. In fact, we had a really close call one time that kind of shook us up and shook up our oldest son, and um, we've learned to be really careful when there's, when there's a warning that says there's rip currents. Do, do not go in the water. Don't go far into the water anyway. And so if you knew there was a rip current and your, your loved one was headed out into the water, you would say, stop, be careful, there's there's a rip current that could take you away, that could sweep you off your feet and make it almost impossible for you to get back to shore. So being silent about Jesus would be like being afraid to tell your small child, the burner is hot. <laughs> the, burner, the stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the burner. We have a message that's even far more important than that, in fact. So we dare not keep silent about Jesus. Now we might all agree with this idea. I would, I, would, um, I would venture to guess that we all would agree with that idea, that we have a, a message of the gospel that's so important that the world desperately needs to hear that we dare not be silent about it. But don't we still deal with fear? Don't we all still deal with, with the temptation to be fearful about how we'll be received or how the message will be received or whether we'll be rejected or not or whether it will hinder our relationship with people or maybe hinder our work or hinder our job if we speak of Christ. Well, thankfully, like everything else in our lives, the Bible gives guidance, doesn't it? God's Word gives wisdom for daily living. And the Bible helps by showing us whom we should fear and whom or what we should not fear. So let's first consider what does the Bible say about who you should fear. These people would not speak of Jesus for fear of the Jews, and God's people with this message of the gospel best not be like them. So let's first consider what does the Bible say about whom you should fear. Who should we fear? The Bible makes it clear that you should fear God. Right, We know that. It's the, the truth of the Scripture. If I say to you, whom should we fear? Your Sunday school answer is, we should fear God. And, and that's the right answer. Uh, should you first fear man or should you first fear God? I think that's the real question. Sometimes we get the order flipped around. Um, in fact, there's a fellow who wrote a book about, about this problem. And, he, and the ti- just the title of the book, I think, is helpful. When people are big and God is small is the title of the book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. We make people big and we make God small, and, the, and the, really the opposite should be true. We should, In our eyes, we should see God as the one who is big and at charge and in control, and we should put people in their place, so to speak, in our thinking, so that we don't elevate them in, to prominence above God. 
The Bible makes it clear that you should fear God. Should you first fear man or should you first fear God? The Bible says you should first fear God. Listen to what Peter said when inspired by God and he spoke of submission to authority. It's a passage you're probably familiar with. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17, Peter says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. Did you hear that? I think it's helpful. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We tend to put fear everyone, fear the brotherhood, fear the emperor, and oh yeah, obey God, not fear God. Uh, What Peter's getting at here is treat everyone honorably. That's the idea here, honor everyone. Treat everyone honorably. Treat everyone, the idea is respectfully. Be respectful of all people. I mean, for the very least reason, but a very good reason, very important reason, they're made in God's image. Mankind made in God's image. We ought to respect people. We ought to treat everyone honorably. That's what Peter's pointing at. So treat everyone honorably, respectfully, says Peter. And then he says, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's love the brotherhood. That's love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a special bond with other people who are believers in Jesus that goes beyond the familial bond that you may have in your own family with people who are unbelievers. They say blood is thicker than water, but... The bond that believers have is thicker than, than blood. It's the bond we have in Christ. And so, as Peter says, love the brotherhood. And then he says, fear God. Fear God. We'll come back to that. And then he says, honor the emperor. In other words, again, honor those who rule over you. Again, it's kind of that respectful idea, the idea of respectfulness. For those, uh, for us, that's our lawmakers. Think of think of our lawmakers; those who, those who are, uh, th- those who are in charge of the communities in which we live. Those who are ruling authorities. Those who are governing authorities. Those who govern us as people in the USA. Respect them. Respect. They may not be, they not behave respectfully, but. But in fact, if they exist, God is allowing them to exist as a way of maintaining order in the, in the world in which we live. <clears throat> and so give them respect because of their role in society. But note this, we are not to fear those who govern us. We are not to fear those who make laws. Even if they make laws that seem like they're going to go against us if we speak up and speak out for Jesus' sake. Do not fear those who govern you. We're not to fear them. We're to respect them. We're to honor and give respect to those who govern us. But, but the only mention of fear here in 1 Peter 2.17 is the fear we're to give to God. We're to fear God. Now, on that note of fearing God, whenever we think of the fear of God, we need to think in terms of 
think, of, think of this in terms of a reverent respect, a reverence for God, a reverence for his righteous commands. In, in fact, if you have reverence for his righteous commands, it means that you, your reverence leads to obedience. And so that's the kind of fear of God that the scriptures talk about. But more than just being in awe of God, so, so remember this, more than just being in awe of God, to fear God means to give him your reverence, your, your respect, your, which leads to your obedience to his word. What this does not mean is that we're to fear God in the way we think of running and hiding and cowering from a, a vengeful God. Like we don't have a vengeful God who's out to get us so much as we have a God that we ought to give reverent fear and respect to and give our obedience to. It is for our good that we do so. So it doesn't mean that we're to fear God as in we're not to be terrified by God and, and to hide from Him. And we're, uh, It's not like we have a mean and cruel and vindictive God who will punish us at the, at the drop of a hat, but He is not a God to be trifled with either. He is a God who will judge, and he will do so in righteousness. But he is not a God that requires that we be afraid of him or afraid of what he will do next, like we're not sure what he's going to do next, so we better be careful. I was noticed uh, when we disciplined one of our children, when all eight of our children were at home, and one of them got in trouble, and needed to be spanked. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you do it lovingly and graciously, to spank a child is actually an act of love. When a child needs that correction, sometimes that's the, kind of the only thing that gets through to them. Um, when one of our children needed to be spanked and I spanked them, it was amazing how the other seven got really obedient and really kind of like went out of their way to make sure that we knew they were doing what they were supposed to be doing uh, for, for a while. At least it lasted for a while. It didn't last forever. But, but in the immediate you know, vicinity of the next hour or so, things were very orderly and very wonderful, in fact, um, because they were afraid of what Dad was going to do next, maybe. That's not God. Uh, you know, my children who got obedient all of a sudden... Maybe they were afraid that they would be next. We don't need to treat God like that. We have his word that instructs us and teaches us and encourages us with his wisdom. And if we will walk in obedience to the Lord, we don't have to be afraid of what he will do next if we get out of line. We've got to give God our reverent honor and respect for, for he is holy. He is a righteous God. It is, in fact, his righteousness that leads to his just judgment. And yes, there's a measure of fear that should go with that, that we, maybe at first when you begin to learn of this as an unbeliever, you think, boy, I better, you know, if there's a God who judges, I better get in line. I better obey him. And if that leads to your repentance, then that's a good thing. But if it leads to just going through the motions because you're trying to please a vengeful God, that's the wrong understanding of who God is. Because he is gracious and forgives sin. So we ought to give our righteous and holy God our reverent honor and respect. 
And he will judge in righteousness. That is true. And that's very clear when we read passages like Romans 2. Listen to verses 4 through 9 in Romans 2 when Paul writes, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Hear that. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is patient. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6 says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. That is, that is those who've turned to Christ in faith and obedience, repentance. Uh, verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. In, in other words, everyone. This is for everyone. So when the Bible speaks of fearing God, it's speaking in terms of respect and reverence and awe toward God, awe of God. And yes, part of that reverent fear and awe of God is understanding that he is a just judge and will judge in righteousness. But we also need to understand that to fear God means to be obedient to God to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. And yes, part of that reverent fear of God is understanding that he is a just judge. But we need to understand that to fear God means to be obedient and, and your obedience leads to something else. And it's something that it's so important for the way that we live our lives. Our obedience of God, two things. It leads to our joy. Our obedience leads to our joy because our obedience is for our good. God gives us commands for our good. They, they please Him, yes, but they are also necessary for our lives. We need God's instruction. And when we obey, God gives joy. God gives joy. But also... Our obedience leads to God's glory. It points to a righteous God, a holy God, who is to be believed in, who is to be trusted in, who is to be honored. Our obedience gives God glory. Revelation 14.7 speaks of this and says, And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory. The idea there behind, uh, behind fearing God and giving him glory is this giving him your obedience. Your obedience shows great honor and glory to God and makes God glorious, reveals his glory, shows his glory. 
shines the, the spotlight on Him and not on ourselves. Certainly we can't say we truly fear God if we don't seek to obey Him. If we're not seeking to live holy lives righteousness, in, in righteousness, in obedience. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7, one points out that holiness is brought to completion in the fear of God. Here's how it says this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, one. Since we have these promises, beloved believers, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We grow in, in Christ-likeness when we give God our obedience bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That same idea is found elsewhere, like in Psalm 2 in verse 11, where it says, serve the Lord with fear. And and again, that's talking about reverent obedience. Serve the Lord with fear. Obey the Lord with fear. Honor him. Respect him. Give him your obedience. I already noted Proverbs 1.7, but again it says, there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's not be those people, right? That we despise wisdom and instruction because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Your reverent obedience of God opens the door to the wisdom that God longs to give you from His Word. And Proverbs 8.13 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, perverted speech I hate. May that be true of us, that, that we detest hate, uh, um, hateful and evil speech and perverted speech and that, that we would uh, detest pride and arrogance in our own lives. That, I mean, it's easy for us to point at pride and arrogance in other people and say, look at that, pride and arrogance. But oh, that we would see it when it's present in our own lives and want to be done with it so that we humble ourselves before the Lord and give him our reverent obedience. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. May we, may we hate evil in our own lives. May we hate evil conduct, evil thoughts that they would... That they would um, Convict us when when we find them present and seek to be done with them, repenting of those things and turning back to the wisdom of God's word and the wisdom of obedience to God. And so we think about this fear of God. Whom are we to fear? We're to fear God. Uh, So to fear God means to give him our reverent obedience. Uh, Appreciate what the Puritan John Flavel uh, said when he recognized this truth, when he wrote that, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of man, they run themselves into evil. He was on to something. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of man, they run themselves into evil. And with that second part of that statement, we're pointed to whom we should not fear. So we've talked about whom we should fear, and that is God. We ought to give God our reverent obedience. Our reverent respect should lead to our obedience. Reverent respect of God leading to obedience. And and with that second thought, by the fear of man, as Flavel says, by the fear of man, they run themselves into evil. 
whom, of whom are we not to give our fear? Who are we not to fear? Here's, I have three points here, and here's the first one. We should not fear Satan. We should not fear Satan. As followers of Jesus, we have no reason to fear Satan or his demons. God's Word helps us with this. The Bible does tell us in regard to Satan, in regard to his demons and the lies of the devil, what are we to do? 1 Peter 5.8, we are to be watchful and alert. That doesn't say be fearful. It says be watchful, be aware, beware, be watchful and alert. Be sober-minded, says 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So how are you to be, how are you to be um, uh, this watchful and alert? How are you to be watchful and alert instead of fearful of Satan? Well, your first... <laughs> we'll go back to the, the first point in in whom we are to fear. Your first priority is to fear God. And I think, as Flavel said, if we'll, get, if we'll get the order right, if we'll fear God instead of man, we're well on our way to learning that there's no reason to fear Satan. So fear God. Your first priority is the fear of God. You make your first priority giving your reverent obedience to God. That means you need the Word, you get into the Word, you pour the Word into your life, and you ask God to show you areas of your life that need to come into conformity to God's Word. You make your first priority giving God your reverent obedience. You submit to God. You seek to honor God with your thoughts, your actions, your words, your work. Submit to God. Give him your obedience, and God will deal, I think God will help you in dealing death blows to, to any fear that might reside in you, that, that fear of Satan or fear of man. We'll get to man here in a little bit. So this is something we need to address daily, I think, almost. We're to daily submit our lives to the Word of God. I'm guessing most of us are alike in this, that we need these daily reminders of the truths of God's Word to help us through each day. And so we almost daily need to turn to the Word and submission to the Word so that God's wisdom, God's Word is there to help us when we're tempted to fear the devil and his demons. This is something we need to address daily. We're to daily submit our lives to the Word of God and walk in the truth of Christ daily. That's the idea behind the, the word submit of James 4, 7, when it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know what comes next? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You cannot resist the devil if you are not submitting yourself, therefore, to God. Start with submitting yourself, therefore, to God. And then as you, with the wisdom of God, resist the devil, God's promise is the devil flees from you. So you're not to fear Satan, because if you're God's child, you have the Spirit of God in you. God has moved in and taken up residence. There's no place for Satan in you, but he can tempt you to be fearful of him. So 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, that's believers, you you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. That's the devil. Don't ever forget it. Do not fear Satan, but 
fear God. Honor God. Give your reverent respect and obedience to God first and foremost. Neither should you fear man. I said we were going to get here. Uh, no, no need to fear the devil. No, also, no need to fear man. Fear people. Sometimes we fear what people think. Or more, uh, more like it, we're afraid of what people might think. <laughs> you know, they may not think what you think they're going to think. That's confusing, isn't it? But we do that, don't we? We fear what people might think of us if we do this act of obedience to God's Word, if we speak the name of Jesus, if we walk in the Word, if we say, I believe God's Word, and I'm trying to order my life by the Word of God. I'm trying to obey God's Word. We're afraid of what people might think. That fear of people will sometimes cause us to be silent about Jesus. That fear of people can even cause you to fear what being obedient to God's word might cost you. Again, there's all kinds of things that we, that we can dream up that might happen. And yet, if we give in to those temptations to be afraid of what might happen, we're not honoring God with our lives. Uh, William Gurnall, a Christian minister and author in the 1600s, wrote that we fear men so much because we fear God so little. That's almost like that current book when people are big and God is small, right? We fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. When man's terror scares you, turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. Understand what he's saying. It's a reminder, again, that the cure for misplaced fear In this case, the fear of man is the proper fear of God, the proper reverence and respect and obedience given to to God. The Bible is clear when it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Take it to heart. So take so seriously the judgment of God. I think that's what William Grinnell is pointing to. It's this, take so seriously the judgment of God, which is coming on those who do not trust in Jesus Christ, that you fear God for the sake of your neighbor who needs to hear the gospel, and you speak of the truth of the gospel in spite of what might seem fearful to you as the circumstances or the results of you sharing the gospel. Take so seriously the judgment of God on behalf of your neighbor that you are willing to share the gospel with them, even if that's a a thing that causes fear for you. Fear God first. But what about persecution? <laughs> we might be tempted to think. We we might be tempted to think I, I might be persecuted if I speak of Jesus. It might not go well for me if I speak of Jesus. We are not to fear persecution either. Persecution may come. Well, in fact, the Bible says that persecution will come. It will come. In fact, the Bible says persecution will come if you are obedient to God. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
And look with me for a moment at Matthew 10. You want to turn to Matthew 10 with me? Matthew chapter 10. So persecution will come to obedient believers. People who are fearing God will not necessarily be spared persecution. But do not fear it. Do not fear it because God is greater still than anything man can do to you. Here's how God intends to encourage you. Jesus taught his disciples this when he told them this in Matthew 10. Look at verse 26 and following Matthew 10:26. So have no fear of them. Have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, are not... Two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. There it is again. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And what a great encouragement this truth will be to you if you will take heart in God's word and realize that God is in control. And yes, sometimes we think, what, you know, what might happen to me if I'm faithful to the Lord? What might happen to me? And what's the worst that could happen to you is that, yes, it's the worst that could happen to you is that your, that your life is taken from you, but they cannot take your soul. Lord Jesus Christ keeps you you are God's for all eternity if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the worst that man can do to us, and see, we tend to think the, the worst thing that can happen is that we are harmed physically. In God's, in God's economy, that's not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is that you spend an eternity in hell because you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ. And what a great encouragement a passage like this ought to be to us You put your faith and trust in God. You put your faith and trust in his promises. His promises are true. God keeps his promises. And he will keep you for all eternity. And in reverent fear of God, you obey his commands. And you rest assured that you too can respond to persecution as people or as a person who is cared for by God. Ultimately, you are kept by Christ. Sometimes you look at people who are going through persecution and you think, and, they, and, they're, and they're dealing with it in grace, and you think, how in the world are they doing that? I don't think I could do that. <laughs> and yet it isn't for you to have the confidence necessarily to say, I could go through that if it comes. <laughs> but to say, I can go through that if I depend on Christ. If I look to God and his word and his promises, he's promised me that I can go through that. So I'm going to rest in him, come what may. Even though I'm tempted in the flesh to be fearful, I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to take a step of obedience here and do what honors God and not be fearful of man. You can also be like those of whom Paul 
writes in Philippians 1.14, And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, Paul was being persecuted, Paul was being held in prison, and he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, this is how God was using the persecution of Paul, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? We think Paul's imprisoned. He's being persecuted. We better be quiet. (laughs) And he says just the opposite was happening with God's people. They were being emboldened to speak the truth of the gospel because Paul was imprisoned. And you realize when you look at the church through the centuries, you find often that the church thrives when it's being persecuted. It grows and thrives and flourishes under persecution. I'm not suggesting we pray for persecution, but I'm suggesting that God's people ought to be prepared for persecution because we give our reverent respect and fear to God and in obedience to Him, and we refuse to fear man, come what may, no matter what happens. And so you need not fear Satan. You need not fear man. And you also need not fear the future. You need not fear the future, says Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit of, uh, for God uh, gave us a spirit not of fear, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. How does God give us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control? He gives us himself. He pours his spirit into us. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. In repentance, you turn from your sins and in faith turn to Jesus. And he pours his spirit into you. And you receive a spirit of power and love and self-control. You may not always show power and love and self-control, but you have the ability with God at work in you as you give God your reverent respect and fear and obedience. God's indwelling spirit is not a power in us that leads to fear. God does not lead us to fear mankind or the devil or the future. God, in fact, leads us in just the opposite direction. You may have never thought of it this way. But I would suggest that the main reason we can say with confidence that there's no need to fear the future is that those who are followers of Christ have God's ever-present indwelling through the Holy Spirit. We have His Spirit in us now. Aren't we often guilty of thinking, I can't, and I'm with you on this sometimes, I can't wait for heaven. <laughs> I can't wait to be done with temptation and sin. I can't wait to be done with sorrow and grief and pain and sin and hatred and all kinds of things, right? I can't wait to be... But in the here and now, there's great hope for us. There's great encouragement for us because we have everything we need to live now because we have God's Spirit in us if We're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his spirit indwelling us now. And we have his word to hold in our hands and hide in our hearts. 
We have His ever-present indwelling Spirit in us now. What a blessing is ours for today. And so we can take heart in a truth like Psalm 46.1, which says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's not just all waiting for eternity to happen, all waiting for heaven, all waiting for God to call. It's not just like we're waiting for God to call us home and everything will be better then. Things can be better now, even as we walk through difficulty, because we have God's strength. He is a refuge to us, a very present help in trouble. Why? Because He's given us His Spirit to work in us, to dwell in us, to give us the wisdom of His Word as we turn to the Word in obedience. And so there's a reminder there that you can be confident that with God's presence in you and by way of His Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're seeking to honor Him with your life, God gives you daily care right where you are. He gives you care for the here and now. He gives you wisdom for the here and now. He gives you help so that you have no reason to fear the future for the here and now. And for the one who is God's child, there's no need to fear tomorrow, and there's no need to fear eternity. And yet, we often fear tomorrow. And we think of what's coming and what might come. And we're not sure what's coming, but we, we give fear a place at times when we shouldn't. But we have the indwelling presence of God's Spirit now, And we have an eternal home in glory, yes, to look forward to. But we have his help now. Puritan preacher and author Thomas Watson, who lived in the 1600s, wrote that eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. (laughs) You know, we see sunsets, don't we? And and we say, wow, what a sunset. Think of eternity as having no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. And so we have this reminder, what what a wonderful gospel we have to share with the world, to spare them the night with no sunrise so that they can have an eternity with no sunset. God's children have no need for fear. The present has no place for our fear. The future has no place for our fear. We are not to fear Satan. We're not to fear man. We're to fear God. God says to all who trust in him from the truth of Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God's people can say, Praise God from whom all blessings flow.